With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, Gary Washburn is here. Gary is, of course, an NBA writer with the Boston Globe. He's also the co-author of the Spencer Haywood Rule, Battle, Basketball, and the Making of an American Iconoclast, which you can purchase Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you buy books. And Gary joins me here on the show. Gary, what's up, man? Yeah, how's it going? Good to be here. You are, you are also a uh, newly freed bubble veteran. Uh, I got my freedom about a month or so ago. You got your freedom uh, just two days ago. How are you feeling outside of the uh, bubble environment? It's a little weird, uh, honestly. Um, you like to drive down and the street and you see like streets that were being under construction. They're already finished now. And, um, <laughs> you know, you just, you just drive and the weather's different. Like it was obviously eighties and nineties in Florida. And here the first day I got back, it was like pouring rain and you could wear long sleeve shirts, uh, and just to, uh, drive and, you know, the things that we had to do test every day, um, you know, the food, you know, the, 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 the breakfast, lunch, and dinner times, we have to adhere to that. And now you can kind of go do what you want, get what you want. Um, you know, not everybody wears a mask, which is a little strange. And we all had to, had to mask up. So, yeah, it's a little strange to get used to, to get back into uh, reality where, like, everyone's not as safe and everyone's not as, as cautious as they were in the bubble. You know, when you think back at 
you know, what you thought about the bubble three months ago to the reality of it. How did your expectations match up to the reality? Um, the reality was a lot better. I didn't know. I don't think anyone know how it was going to go. Um, I thought that I, I didn't think the arenas were going to, I thought they were going to be kind of like gyms. You know, I had no idea about the, 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 the layout of the arena and how uh, we would, we would, uh, where we would sit, you know, and I, th- I thought it would be more like a, a college gym or something. If you go to somewhere like a BC or something like that, and you were sitting in the front row and just kind of like with our computer in our lap and, and that kind of thing, just, um, I really had no idea how much the league would effort the league would put into it to make sure that it was as, you know, obviously different than what it was than usual NBA games, but something that was unique and something that, you know, ended up being pretty good, a very good product. Um, you know, the limitations and, and those types of things uh, I was, I, I sort of assumed, but um, I was a little taken aback by how the league, how stringent they were and uh, the bands, you know, uh, that we wore every day that to get us in and, and, you know, the, the, the text messages, Hey, you didn't test yet. Please test. Um, and so we talked about the temperature and oxygen saturation and the, just the everyday repetitiveness of it. I think I was not aware of that, how it was, how it was going to go uh, and how every day kind of ran together. But then I think the access, I think was a, out of the, you know, out of the park. I mean, I just think the, especially as you were there when there were 22 teams there, I mean, you were just over overwhelmed with all the access, all the potential access you could get every day of going to five or six practices a day for, for teams and getting guys that you would never have an opportunity to get unless you maybe got something on the phone or something like that. To me, that was uh, the amazing part of it um, was just the access and then um, how well organized it was, you know, uh, turning the – uh, the ballrooms and the full fridge practice facilities. I mean, I remember when you, you know, you walk into these places and it looks like, you know, one of the practice facilities we go to a lot, you know, uh, with a little weight room and places for treatment and all that. I mean, the league really over that time that I think we were kind of waiting for a decision and we were kind of accusing them of being a slightly indecisive. They were really putting this thing together um, over that probably like May, June, July period. Um, and they did a great job. Yeah, they did. And yeah, I, for a couple of days after I left, I was still getting that 11 p.m. text message saying, you have not tested, please go to uh, right. to get that taken care of. But uh, I won't miss that. Uh, I'm sure you won't either. That's That's for sure. And you're right, the access was incredible. I mean, hopefully the league doesn't have to do this again. But if they do, uh, I'll be, you know, and I'm sure you will be too. One of the first people to sign up to go and do it because it uh, it definitely has a value uh, being inside that bubble. I want to ask you about the book, but before I get to to that, uh, just to put a button on the NBA's bubble experience. You know, you were there for every step of the way. You know, from you know the the seating games into the and uh, the NBA Finals. When when you look back at the challenge of this championship for the Lakers, there'll be some people that weren't there that will say, well, you know, it's an asterisk championship. It's not, it doesn't hold up to uh, the championships won in another season. There will be others, and I'm, I'm kind of in this camp, that say it's 
it feels like it was even more difficult to win a championship down there in that environment than winning a traditional one. Where do you fall on that? I mean, what's your your answer to the whole, is there an asterisk attached to this title? Oh, I don't think there's an asterisk at all. I think, if anything, it was more difficult. The sacrifices these guys had to make, the uh, being away from their families for a long period of time. Um, and as much as there wasn't traveling, the players, a lot of the teams obviously were still playing games every other day. Um, teams or guys were still getting tired out there because of the repetitiveness of every other day. You know, I remember the Lakers kind of complaining, like, you know, because they were the, the premier team and they were playing the 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 games that they people wanted to see that they were playing at nine o'clock every night. And that kind of wore them out. Like, can we get a, you know, I know you're going to put Sacramento and, uh, you know, Phoenix in the afternoon, but do we have to play at nine o'clock every night, um, every other night uh, because we're the premier team. I mean, I think there was a level of, there were different kind of problems. I and mean, I think all of them were first world problems, but I do think that there was a, a different kind of fatigue, kind of a boredom, I remember talking to Danny Green for the Lakers uh, probably during the conference finals, and he kind of pointed out, he's like, hey, like, you know, the only thing you have to can do when you get back is, you know, if, if you're – is look at your social media accounts. And if you're him or you're Paul George or some of these guys who weren't doing that well out there, you know, and you just see all the Instagram or Twitter comments, you're trash, you suck, you, you're terrible, and you've really got nothing else to do. I mean, it's only so much fishing and, um, you know, hanging out at the restaurant with your teammates you want to do. You really can't see your family. Um, you know, you can golf once a week. I mean, I think that there were some different types of problems. And, and you know, I think all of it in, in, in relation to what people are going through every day dealing with this uh, virus is not comparable. But I think for a, a matter of men – and people who are used to routines. I mean, they're a, mat, they're a creature of habit. Guys like to practice at a certain time. They like, like that wasn't, I mean, Chris, you were there. I mean, mm. guys, there were t- some teams practicing at 10 a.m., other teams practice at 8 p.m. Like, very rarely do NBA teams practice at 8 p.m., you know, unless they're, they're traveling to a town, they just want to get a little workout in or something. Like, there were legit night practices, which is probably hasn't, these guys haven't done since college, maybe. Um, so I just think it was a different type of sacrifice, but I don't think that this is less, anything less than, you know, it was without the travel, but you had heavy competition. I think the quality of basketball was great. And the stars who were stars on the outside were pretty much stars on the inside in the bubble. Um, so no, I don't put any kind of asterisk on the Lakers title. Um, I think that they played the best basketball. I think the Heat played the second best basketball. And that probably, you know, now I will say this, Chris, I, I, do I think Denver wins two games uh, over the Clippers at in LA if there's a home court advantage? You know, do I think they win games five and seven at the Staples Center? No. Um, do I think Miami wins the first two games at Boston uh, in their series of Eastern Conference Finals? No. I do think the home court advantage and the lack thereof played a difference, but I don't think it was an advantage particularly to anybody because the Lakers couldn't play in the Staples Center, the Clippers couldn't play, you know, but it did make a difference, I think, in some of these series. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, those top-tier teams not having the chance to open on their home floor hurt them, but 
I mean, everybody had to play with that that playing field, and uh, you know the the tough, mentally tougher teams, mentally toughest teams, I think, uh, came out of uh, their respective conferences. The other part about this, Gary, is that the NBA they obviously committed to uh, you know the social justice movement going into all this, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, being written on the floor, all the things they did with voting. Now that it's it's finished, how do you think that went over? You obviously have some criticism in some. Uh, you know, parts of the world, parts of the country about, you know, the league doing that. And did they turn off people? You saw the ratings dipped in um, in these finals games. What's your biggest takeaway from the NBA's commitment to the social justice movement over the last few months? Well, I think it was something, Chris, that they had to do in order to appease the players from playing in the bubble. I think that was a definite agreement. I don't, I do think that the NBA wants the players to give their message. And I think they encourage social justice and, speak out. But I do think that that was kind of a, a condition of the players like, hey, if we're going to do this, we're not going to just speak on basketball. Um, and I think that that's something that that uh, I think a sacrifice that the league made. Um, can I do I do, do I think it had directly a lot to do with the ratings? I don't know. I, I don't th- this whole thing is unprecedented. You know, were people really offended there was Black Lives Matter on the floor? Were people really offended uh, that, they, you know, that these guys are talking about certain issues. I mean, it, it, you know, and are, are those people really basketball fans? Are those guys really, right. are those people really NBA fans? I mean, is a person who's against uh, these things really going to watch a 75% black league on the, on the normal, on the regular and say, I love it. You know, I, I don't know if that's the case. Um, I do think that the importance of sports in as much as I think that a lot of us were, were desperate for, for games and we were watching Korean League baseball and we were watching, you know, we, we, we devoured the last dance and stuff. I think for the non, like, uh, diehard fan, the importance of sports is lessened. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably where the ratings uh, have been affected. It's not the, the, the hardcore NBA fan it's the fans that just like sports, that like the NBA. Because I, you know, over the years you meet people. Well, I only watch the NBA when the playoffs come. You know, mm-hmm. those people, the people that watch it only when the games really count. I think the importance of sports, because as you see now, Chris, like the baseball ratings are down. I think the Tampa, Houston, uh, first two games of the, that ALCS was like one of the lowest of all time. Um, I just think the effect of sports and the impact just is lessened because people are just trying to survive. They're unhappy. They're depressed. Uh, and in some, and so I think that basketball lost those fans. So I think a lot of sports have lost those kind of like non diehard fans and the social justice thing, I think is something that I think the league, it helped the league bond with the players even more. I think the NBA players, and the player association have the best relationship of any of the unions in the leagues. And I do think that that helped them. Um, but it would be, I'd be shocked, honestly, Chris, if, if, you know, every, all 30 owners were thrilled with what went down there. You know, I, I, I would probably think half of them just kept their mouth shut because they understand uh, the unpopular stance they would take. But, um, it would be it would surprise me if all the owners were on board with it. I just think they accepted it, 
and they knew that to pull this off, because you're talking about losing less money. This was not a money-making venture. The league was just trying not to get, uh, get you know, buried in losses, and this bubble mm-hmm. thing allowed that to, to earn some of that money back, but not to, to – they're still in the red. I think they knew that this was going to have to go down for them to have a season. Yeah, and – I mean, you said a lot there, and I agree with with it. I mean the the idea that you know the ratings were as low as they were because of the embracing of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the embracing of the social justice movement, it's just ridiculous. It just like you're not going to convince me that like Rudy Giuliani is a regular watcher of the NBA Finals, or that any of some of these you know Republican senators that are tweeting about this, Ted Cruz. Like are regularly watching the NBA Finals. Like I just that that's I don't believe that's the audience anyway. I think what you said is true, and I think you know a big part of it is the saturation too. I mean, the NBA Finals takes place in June every single year. There's nothing that goes on in June every single year. Like it's just the NBA Finals, and there's the baseball regular season. Like that's it. So when you go from going up against and not just going up against stuff, but I think just the overall oxygen the sports media oxygen that's consumed over the course of of you know the last couple of months uh you know the nba is fighting for it they're fighting for media coverage in a way they're fighting for the attention of the sports fan where they don't have to fight for it you know in june so i think that's a that's a huge part of why the ratings dip i think you know this time next year if they, if they get back on a regular schedule that's a conversation in and of itself but if they get back on a regular schedule you'll see i think the ratings return to a more normal level uh, in the spring uh, of next year, to to uh, to put a button on this, Gary, the you know the legacy of LeBron James is always an interesting conversation to have. I mean, now he has his fourth championship. He wins it with his third different team. He wins a Finals MVP with his third different team. To you, you in in your mind, did this win by LeBron, you know, in the pantheon of great players, did it move him around in your mind? Did it put him above anyone, or did it move him on a list of all time greats? I mean, I would say it may put him second. Um, I, I just think I, I'm kind of tired of the Le- LeBron-Jordan argument because it's so different. You know, like LeBron went to t- has gone to 10 finals. Like I think we, we're going to eventually have to respect, and maybe when he's finished playing and we were like, wow, we really miss LeBron, which is probably going to be the case. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that we're going to have to respect the fact of what he does to teams and his – presence on a team like he makes a team a championship team just by himself and um that wasn't always the case with Michael Jordan you know his first seven years he struggled they had to go to the Celtics and then go to the Pistons and then once uh they got a a team and Jordan had all of his superpowers they were just unbeatable um but I think LeBron's just – I think his his legacy is just different, and it's okay. Like, I just think the direct comparisons are just really unfair. Um, I think LeBron is a, is, a, is a great one in his own way. Um, I do think the fourth title with the third different team. I think that we always associate Michael Jordan with the Bulls, obviously, obviously besides those two years with the Wizards. Um, which weren't all that bad. I mean, I think if you look at the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, he was not terrible as a wizard. It just was awkward to watch him play for losing teams and just be the uh, a, a sideshow trying to sell tickets. But um, 
I think now it's like we really what 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 teams do we associate LeBron with? I think there's and I think there's been there's now three LeBrons. There is this young, you know, athlete, freakishly athletic LeBron. Um, before he before the decision, there is the Miami LeBron, where he was kind of the bad guy, but he had to learn how to win. Maybe I would say four LeBrons. Then there's Cleveland part two LeBron, the polished, experienced winner who uplifted a team to, to back from 3-1. And now there's Lakers LeBron, where there's this like um, leader of young men, uh, the old guy of the group, but still a dominant player. I mean, he's, just, he's four different guys at this point. I mean, that's the thing I think is different from Jordan. Jordan, you just see 23. You, we all think of 90, you know, driving the baseline against Ewing and dunk. I mean, dunking on – like, that's the – we think of Jordan. We think kind of one Jordan, um, 91 through 97, 98 Jordan. But, that, but there's so many different LeBrons, and that has to be appreciated because most guys, you know, just have one image. LeBron has – four and um does that make him the greatest only i mean i still think that michael had that like uh oh factor like whenever you got the ball it was like uh oh like especially playing against your team you know but, but like there was just something special every time um jordan had the ball it was just something something you were, were never going to see again i don't know if lebron has that but i do think lebron has uh he's a winner and I don't think it's fair to criticize him for losing NBA finals with some of the inferior teams he played on, but I, I do think he has his own unique image. And I think we need to respect that as opposed to trying to like have one greatest. I, I, I can't stand Chris when I know you see on Twitter, you know, there's four pictures of players. One's got to go. Why? Why, why do we, yeah. why do we, you know, bird magic, Jordan, Kobe, one's got to go. Like, no, I, one does not Like, what are we talking about here? You can only choose three, you know, one, no, I, I, I hate those games. Like why? I think we're in a society, especially with younger people that like, there's always got to be a number one or someone's got to go. Like we, this isn't an apprentice. Like this isn't like all of them, none of them have to go. So Jordan can, can be the greatest. LeBron can be the second greatest. And for, I'm sure a younger generation who don't really remember Jordan uh, besides YouTube and now the last dance, it could be LeBron. Um, I think that's okay. Um, but we don't talk enough about Kareem. We don't talk enough about Elgin Baylor. We don't talk enough about Jerry West. We don't talk enough about Larry Bird. Um, so this debate's going to last forever. But I do think, to, to answer your question long-windedly, LeBron mm. did improve and enhance his image by winning a, another title and bringing respect back to Los Angeles. I just think, I mean, I mean, we are in Boston. And I think we kind of get used to, like, I don't think we've we realized, and, and I know Celtic fans are very upset about losing the Eastern Conference Finals and, you know, this is unacceptable and Brad this and all that, but the Lakers missed the playoffs the last seven years. Can hmm. you imagine that happening here? Like, and could you imagine that happening in Boston? Like, what? No. I mean, the Lakers had not made the playoffs since 2012-13. And so they had gone through some really hard times. You know, the Kobe era, trying to build a team around him and then trying to deal with the fact of 
kind of waiting for him to figure out when he wanted to retire and then the post Kobe teams and bringing all these youngsters in, like they've been through a lot. And so I think he definitely deserves kudos for bringing that franchise back to prosperity. Yeah. And, you know, to go back to something you said there about versions of, I I think Jordan, LeBron, you're right, had about four. Uh, I think Jordan, Jordan might have had two Two. just because there was the, you know, when he got beat by, or was the early 90s, gotten beat by the Pistons, kept getting the crap kicked out of him. That's when he decided, like, and I'm not even talking about switching uniforms, but when he decided, like, I've got to get stronger. Like, this is when I'm changing who I am. I am going to become a muscled up version of myself. And that's really what, propelled him to success when he got to play through some of the physicality of the Pistons in those series. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, the, those are the two incarnations I remember uh, vividly of, of Michael Jordan. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about the book here for a second. Uh, You co-wrote this book with Mark Spears of ESPN's The Undefeated. Again, it's called The Spencer Haywood Rule, Battles Basketball in the Making of an American Iconoclast. Very interesting topic choice, Gary. Walk me through kind of how this all came about. Like not only, you know, writing a book with somebody, co-writing a book doesn't happen all that often, 
uh, but also choosing uh, this subject and this subject matter? Well, um, Spencer, I've known Spencer. I covered the Sonics for three years in the um, in the ni- in the nineties, not that long ago, in the two thousands. The last three years in Seattle, and Spencer, I had known. I mean, obviously, I grew up a Laker. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and I grew up a Lakers fan. Um, and I know people in Boston still remind me of that. Uh, <laughs> so I remember when Spencer played with the Lakers. The first championship team was kind of the first team I remember. Like, that was my team because that was the first Laker team to win. And I don't remember the 72, 70, or the 71, 72 team. I was too way, you know, like the 79, 80 team was the first team I remember. Like, that was the, that was the first team that, like, that was my all time favorite team. So I know the entire roster, including guys like Jim Jones and Spencer Haywood. Um, and so I, re- I knew Spencer from then. Um, and he would come to Seattle because the Sonics retired his number, and I got to know him uh, pretty decently and have good conversations with him when he would come to Seattle because they were his first NBA team, and they would, you know, they celebrate him. He started to kind of get his uh, kudos there, and so I was uh, talked to Mark, who said that he was working on a book, and I was like, wow. I mean, I said, you know, Mark, he has an amazing life. I mean, this is uh, you're talking about coming from Mississippi, the 68 Olympics, fighting the Supreme Court, uh, playing with the late 70s Knicks in a, in a time where, I mean, with a, he, I think he played with Bill Bat- Bradley, Phil Jackson, Walt Frazier, Bob McAdoo, uh, Earl Monroe, all those guys, like, toward the end of their career. I was, I mean, then he goes to Lakers, and he has some issues there, and then, like, he's got an amazing life. So Mark was like, oh, wow, you know, you know a lot about him. And I did. So we decided to collaborate on it. And Spencer uh, is now 71, very sharp. And Spencer had a lot to say. And I think that, Chris, the thing is uh, he felt very disrespected for years by the NBA. His journey is interesting because, obviously, he comes from basically literally picking cotton in Mississippi. Um his mother makes the decision to send him to Detroit to live. Obviously, northern migration in those times, the, the heart of the racism, the mid-1960s, here's a 15-, 16-year-old kid. Like, we got to get you out of here before trouble finds you here, before you either get arrested or, you, you know, we've got to get you to the north because that's the best way for you to have a good life. So he moves to Detroit. He becomes this superstar, obviously Olympian at 18 years old, the Mexico City Games, and then decides after his second year at University of Detroit, he wants to try to play professional basketball. And the NBA then, I think people now, I, I, I would do ask people to do research on the league in the 60s and the 70s. I think that we are so enamored with the Adam Silver and even the David Stern NBA. The NBA had a lot of problems. Uh, in the 70s and 80s. And David Stern really helped turn that around. But in the late 60s, there were owners that did, that they had a no-hardship rule. You could not enter the draft early. You had to play either four years of college or enter the draft four years after your high school class graduated. So you would, I mean, and, and, and Chris, I'm sure you've done your, I mean, there was all types of Eastern basketball leagues. There was these like minor leagues where, you know, you're, you would, I mean, you would get your knees torn up. I mean, these, you would play against freaking butchers and play against, yeah. you know, like 
there was a, there was a there was an undercurrent leagues of that these guys played in um, to to get through those four years, and then here comes the ABA, and so Spencer signs with the ABA and tries to and plays a year, uh, wins the MVP. 30, as 30 and 20, plays the MV, gets the MVP and um, Rookie of the Year, and then decides he wants to try to play in the NBA a year early. Um, and the league fought him tooth and nail on that. There were owners that did not want to see a majority African-American league. If you look at the NBA, obviously, in the late 1960s, there was a, a mostly Caucasian league. There was a fear that from guys like Jack and Cook and, and several owners that – if you let this will be a Pandora's box. If you let all these inner city kids who are eighteen to nineteen years old come into our league, they'll they're they're gonna they're gonna make it a, a black league, which is what we don't want. We don't want kids without college educations in the league. We we do not want this. And so obviously the case went to the Supreme Court, and there was a lot of flack that Spencer took from not only the owners and the league, but fellow players who were under the impression and, you know, Hey, if you let these young guys in, they're going to take your job. You know, you, you know, they're going to take food out of your, 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 your mouth. If all these 19, 18, 20 year olds come in after doing one year, two years of college. So Spencer felt as if the NBA basically uh, ostracized him throughout his career um, after the, the drug issues he had with the Lakers and he got kicked out of the finals. And I just think now that's 40 years ago. I mean, 40 years, that's, you know, doesn't seem like that long ago, but if a player today had gotten kicked out of the finals and told to go home, I mean, how much of a news story that would have been. And that was basically yeah. a small story in the LA times that Spencer basically fell asleep at a practice after a, a night of having a drug binge and, you know, they, they told him, you're not coming to Philly for game three, um, stay home. And that's it. And he felt like the league made him the poster boy of the drug issues of the late 1970s. The league was a drug infested league in those days. You had a lot of guys who were doing obviously cocaine, which was then a Vogue, you know, high end drug for, for rich people, uh, whether it be smoking marijuana or whatever. You had a lot of players getting high in the late 1970s and 80s. I don't know if you remember, Chris, but I don't. there was like a, a campaign when Stern took over from like Patrick Ewing, Michael Jordan. They got some of the league's young guys to do commercials, like just say no to drugs. Yeah. Like the league tried to, to distance itself because when Stern took over and they had – I mean, and I, I know younger listeners will will laugh and shake their head, but the NBA Finals games, and I don't, I don't, and I think honestly, Chris, like the Rockets Celtics was one of those like tape delay finals. Like, um, there was a, those games were at eleven thirty um, yep. after the late local news. If people ever remember that, um, <laughs> you would watch Game Three, Game Four. And you would it would be under tape delay, and you would have to turn on your TV. And you, if you're watching the sports on the news, you'd have to either turn your head or turn the TV down so you wouldn't see the score. Um, <laughs> and then you could watch the game afterwards. I remember being in LA and watching Jim Hill, still there, my goodness, and saying, yeah. "Turn your head 
we're going to show the score of uh, game three of the Rockets Celtics. Turn your head if you don't want to see it because we're going to show the damn game. Um, we're going to show the game in its entirety after this broadcast. So Stern had a league that was what people said was too black and too many drugs. So he really made sure to try to clean that up in terms of the drug. And Spencer felt like he was made an example of. Told to go to Italy to get the rest of his Lakers contract. Uh, felt like the he couldn't get a job in the league for a while. So he had a lot on his mind to discuss. And he has a fascinating story. And he's he is um, obviously inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2015. Long overdue. A uh, number retired in Seattle. And I, feel, and I feel like he wants to have the hardship rule uh, named the Spencer Haywood rule. And I think that he sees and understands, and I think some of the players understand the Garnets and the late Kobe Bryant and the Durants and the, obviously LeBrons understand that they piggybacked his sacrifice, um, that he took the bullets for a lot of young men, the Moses Malones, uh, the George Gervins, who did not finish school or did not even go to college to enter the league and without any, any resistance. That was, the, that was fine, um, but it wasn't always fine. So Spencer had a lot to say, and I think that to tell his story is, uh, was indeed a great accomplishment for me and Mark because this is someone that a lot of people don't know about. And he's now, you know, he's, he is, you know, uh, his relationship with the league is good. You know, he does the NBA Cares things. He comes to the All-Star Games. And I think that he's finally getting the, the respect and the kudos that he deserved after kind of being spit on and spit out by the league for years and kind of given the poster boy. And if you, you know, go back and maybe Michael Ray Richardson and there was others who were part of kind of like the, the group of players who were really heavy into drugs and it was a problem. Um, and the league had to enter the drug policy and things like that. Uh, he was one of those people. They, he felt like the league made an example out of him and because of the court case. And so uh, that's something that I feel like he felt like it was unfair. You go into a, a book like this, Gary, with an already strong command, as you said, of the subject matter, having covered him and knew him a little bit from from earlier. But was there anything that stuck out that he said to you that you just kind of said, wow, like that, that really surprised you, something that you didn't know going into it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, the fact he played for, like some of the things he had done, like you just forgot, like he married Iman, the model who ended up eventually married to David Bowie, Bowie before he passed <laughs> That was one you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I forgot about that. Um, and then just kind of like him playing in New York in the 70s. And, 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 and you look at the rosters of those Knicks teams. I mean, with, you know, and you, you had – and it was sort of like, you know, uh, the, the late 80s Celtics or something where it was still his franchise trying to get back to prosperity and they ran a bunch of guys out there you know, and, Spen and if you read the article, Spencer was acquired by the Knicks to put him over the top. It was sort of like, and I think Howard Beck pointed this out, it was like, sort of like Carmelo or Amari Stoudemire. It was like, it just never ends. Like, here's the guy that's going to put the Knicks back on top. And there was Spencer and playing with an aging Walt Frazier and Clyde, uh, sorry, Earl Monroe and um, Bill Bradley in his last year and Phil Jackson and some of the stories he had about, you know, those guys reading books on the road, like Bill Bradley going to law school, like those guys were 
kind of like they were done, but they were still playing. Um, and just learning a lot about his experience growing up in Mississippi, the racism, um, playing for the University of Detroit, uh, him being a young man in a city like Detroit in the height of the Motown era, where there's all these musicians, the Smokey Robinsons, the Marvin Gaye's, Temptations, Diana Ross, like, you know, they're all in their mid, you know, early 20s. So here's the best player at the local university, uh, and he's hanging out with him. He's going to clubs. Remember, he's 6'8", so he can kind of pass for being older. Um, and, and just his, his life experiences, and also just – Honestly, like his the, the years of being felt like disrespected, a, a near suicide attempt um, when he was basically told by the Pistons, "Don't come back after playing and being in training camp for two days during the end of his career." He didn't. He didn't. His career didn't end how he wanted to. So there's a lot of fascinating nuggets about this man that um, that I learned and I did not know before I got these long conversations with him. Yeah, it's a, it's a really rich story, and you and Mark tell it extremely well. The book is Spencer, The Spencer Haywood Rule, Battle, Battles Basketball and the Making of an American Iconoclast. You can buy it on Amazon everywhere that you purchased uh, your books. Check it out. It's a terrific, terrific story. Gary, appreciate your time, man. I, I saw you on, like, local TV this week. Take a damn vacation, dude. <laughs> like, stop stop talking about, like, Gordon Hayward's contract yeah, and go I away know, or I know. do something. Jesus. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure something out. We'll see what happens with this when when we'll see each other next season or what what's, what the league's going to do. That's the – we have no idea. That's the thing, Um Chris, when you leave in a bubble, you're like, okay, we have no idea when we're all going to be together again because the league has not made any decisions on when next season is going to start or if they're going to be home and road games or if we're going to do this bubble again, which I doubt. Yeah, I mean, I like you, I get asked all the time, but when next season is going to start, my general answer is I have no idea yeah. because nobody really has a clue uh, because we're all living with this virus and we're all kind of beholden to it at this point as far as our immediate future. Uh, Good luck with the book, Gary. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me. Chris, thanks a lot, man. Always. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.